Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody to the episode of the Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who, when I'm asked if there's another beat writer that's as good as Shang for talking sharks, I always take a second, go chomp on my apple, and then I respond, not even close. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me today, a really big treat for all of you, because for the third year in a row, I've got joining me to talk all about the San Jose Sharks for our fourth installment of our 32 Beats interview series. It's the great Shang Peng from San Jose Hockey Now. How's it going, Shang? Everything's great, and that's the best introduction I've ever received, so uh, thanks so much, Elon. Okay, well, I was thinking about it all day, so I'm glad it landed. Yeah, I've been really excited to talk to you. Then just today, I listened back to our interview from last year. And it's funny because I started the interview by like lamenting with you and like apologizing that, oh, man, like two years ago, we talked about how the Sharks had this like super disappointing season. And it's a bummer that I'm once again going to have to be asking you about one. And unfortunately, it's going to be three for three. If only we started the Beat Writer series a year earlier, because then we could have been talking about uh, exciting playoff run. But no, it was another... Uh, disappointing year for the yeah, Sharks. Yeah, that's the It's not your fault. It's the yeah. Sharks' fault. <laughs> yeah, maybe next year it'll change. And so, yeah, they ended up with 77 points, sixth in the Pacific. They actually started well. It was looking good for a little bit. They had four wins in a row at the top of the year. By January 11th, around my birthday, they were 2016 and one. It's like, maybe this team could take a run. Uh, were you thinking at that point, like mid-January, that, the, that perhaps this Sharks team could be good enough to be a playoff contender? Or did you have a feeling that the bottom was about to fall out? I thought it was possible uh, because they the main thing they're doing better this year as opposed to the year before was defending. They still weren't scoring a lot, but they were playing a better team game. And I thought that they could kind of hang around and be at the fringe of the playoff race. Uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, get a sneak into uh, sneak into uh, the wild card spot. I predicted at that point that I didn't think that they would make it, but I did think that they would kind of hang on a little bit more in terms of being uh, in the end closer to the playoffs. But a couple things happened there. Uh, Eric Carlson got hurt, of course, right around there, and he was off to a terrific start during the season. And I think if you look at one thing that really kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, nipped at them, it was right there. But also, also uh, had injuries in other places, uh, guys like Mario Ferraro, Kevin LeBanc, you know, guys that could have helped. You know, they were kind of a team that needed almost everything to go right to uh, get to uh, 90-ish points or whatever. And once things started going wrong a little bit and, you know, the first half things went wrong, too. They had guys miss COVID for long stretches like Carlson and whatnot, but they were able to withstand that. But once uh, these, you know, kind of normal things in a season, injuries and whatnot piled up, you just couldn't keep up. Yeah, unfortunately, I guess that's what happens, especially when you're not a super deep team like the Sharks, though. Uh, they did seem like they were better this year. Like uh, one thing we were talking about last year was how like they have a bit of a issue with a lack of depth. And we were talking about how last year they started to improve that a little bit. They brought in like Barabanov and Balsers. And now it looks like they have even more depth. Uh, and, uh, interestingly, they now are going to have to find a new GM to help shore up whatever uh, other remaining needs they have. Do you get a sense that with Doug Wilson stepping down, is there like something specific the Sharks management is looking for when, when hiring a new GM to sort of get that last piece of the puzzle to get back into the playoffs? 
I think the main thing that they're looking for is somebody that uh, believes that this group of players um, that they kind of had to keep around because of their contracts, but that this group of players uh, can be competitive and can make it to the playoffs uh, next year. Uh, and there's not a lot of people that that believe that, right? To to be honest, <laughs> and so uh, at least uh, out, you know, at least like among fans, the fan base and whatnot. And so, um, so I think that's the main thing, though, that if you uh, if you're a GM candidate and you have a good plan to turn this team around, whether it's you know finding those uh those high value signings to put around these more expensive players or maybe uh getting rid of a couple of these expensive players and contracts creatively but uh, not just dumping them for uh uh for cap space and draft picks and doing nothing with that cap space but you know convert uh, basically turning that cap space into new better uh deeper uh you know to make a new better deeper team then the, i think i think that the uh, the search committee, GM search committee will listen to you. Right. Yeah. Cause I honestly, I have to say that going into prepping for this interview, I was thinking, yeah, the sharks, they're not such a great team. But then like, you know, I have a bunch of players I'm going to ask you about, like, this does seem like a team that if like all the pieces could come together, I will, we'll talk through it. Right. But uh, of course there were a couple big moves that were made at the deadline that are going to help shape what the sharks are going to look like, you know, for the next few years. First of all, they signed pending unrestricted free agent, Tomas hurdle to an eight year, 65 million plus extension. I'm really interested to get your take on this move. The sharks were, already not looking like they were going to have a good shot at the playoffs at this point. Generally, you expect teams with a pending UFA to like trade a guy like Hurdle to a contender for picks or prospects or whatever. Of course, no guarantee you'll get him back. I guess clearly they wanted to keep him. I, it's pretty rare. I guess you don't really see a team like trade a player to uh, like a contender and then like re-sign them to a long-term contract like this in the mm-hmm. offseason because theoretically they could have done that and you know gotten something. But in general, I'm curious to get your take on, on this contract, right? Like how do you see this contract looking over the next few years and does it signify to me it like signifies that the sharks are still planning on going for it right or else they wouldn't lock right. him in you know at 28 years old for the next eight years right and that's uh going back to the question about the gm and sort of that main requirement of the new gm uh so yeah i i when they resigned hurdle i think it was a clear signal that that they are not going to a rebuild. They're not doing uh, stealth tank uh, as uh, some of my friends have uh, have uh, alluded to. That, that that's what they were doing. No, uh, that uh, they indeed still believe in this core and this core around you know Couture, maybe a Hurdle, uh, maybe a Carlson and Burns. We'll see if they're still around. But uh, you know, kind of doubling down on that for sure. Yeah, and hey, last year when we talked, you said that one of the main things they need is some goaltending, and maybe they finally have that locked in. Actually, it was funny. I asked you at the time, uh, like, what do you think the Sharks should do with their draft pick? And you were saying you kind of want them to just take a goalie like Wallstead or something, because then <laughs> you won't have to worry. You know, next 10 years will be locked in. So they didn't do that. They got Eklund, which is pretty exciting. We'll talk about him for sure. But the other move they made at the deadline is they traded Jacob Middleton to Minnesota for pending RFA Kapo Kakinen, who's still unsigned. Of course, the Sharks like already had two goalies. Right? They started the campaign with Reimer and Aiden Hill as their tandem, which was a nice upgrade over what they'd gotten from Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik the year before. Uh, Reimer had a career year, right, in some aspects. He had a 56% uh, percent quality start percentage I'm seeing over on Frozen Tools, which is the best ever of his career, a 9-11 save percentage overall. Aiden Hill, you know, not as great, only a 9.06 save percentage, less than 50% quality start. He also missed a huge chunk of the season with an LBI. But got to imagine the Sharks fans are 
are excited now about Kokkinen, who made a great impression with his new team, right? He had a, a quality start in seven of his 10 games with one of those other three being like a four goals against game on 40 shots defeat to the, the Oilers in like his first game. So hard to, you know, get mad at him about that, especially seeing what the Oilers have been doing in the playoffs this year. Uh, so I guess first, I'd love to get your take on like what you think about Kokkinen and then also like what's the plan? Because they've got three goalies now, uh, assuming they re-signed Kokkinen, which I don't see why they wouldn't. Like, what do you think the plan is in net moving forward? Yeah, uh, we spoke with uh, Mike McKenna uh, on my uh, San Jose Hockey Now podcast. And Mike, of course, is a uh, professional goalie, many years experience. Now he um, is uh, with the daily face-off. He's their goaltending expert. And he said of these three goalies that Kakanen has the highest ceiling. And so Kakanen on 25, you know, kind of uh, that ceiling kind of explains why the Sharks parted with Jake Middleton, who they were pretty happy with uh, this year and who was looking like maybe he was a, a number four defenseman there. And so anyway, so Kakanen uh, did definitely look good in uh, with the Sharks there. I think next year, though, I think it's going to be a question mark. Well, first with Aiden Hill's health, Aiden Hill played just one game in the last uh, three months there. And like you mentioned, and while, uh, acting or interim GM Joe will said that he's fine. He'll be fine. Uh, one of the words that Joe will used in his exit interview was that they hadn't quite figured out what was going on. And uh, with Hill, even up to that point of the, after the season, and he used the word troubling, <laughs> which is never uh, a good word to use with uh, injury that hasn't been resolved. And so assume that he'll, if assuming Hill is healthy, then, uh, Hill is the obvious guy to leave just because uh, Kaplan is the guy with this, the young guy with the ceiling kind of maybe uh, a leap leapfrog Aiden Hill in that sense, because Aiden Hill was the young guy with the ceiling with the Sharks trading for him last summer. Um, and then Reimer is sort of that veteran. Also, Reimer's done a great job in terms of uh, the room, the uh, in the room uh, as a veteran presence uh, and all that kind of sort of thing. And anyway, um, so that's sort of the obvious two guys that you keep, Akakinen and Reimer. Uh, but then, though, if you think about it, though, um, you know, Hill's uh, value is sort of at all-time low. And the Sharks traded a second-round pick for him uh, uh, last summer. Now, if they want to recoup that second-round pick, um, it's not going to be through Aiden Hill, of course, uh, even if he's healthy. But uh, could it be with a James Reimer? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Reimer's 34, um, so maybe not. But can he get a, a draft pick, a decent draft pick back for a Reimer, um, who had the best season probably of these three goalies and um, has a higher value than Hill at least? Um, probably not higher than Cap but definitely higher than Hill or maybe even higher than Kaplan because Reimer is more reliable. Well, the Sharks might have to explore that to kind of recoup that, that asset. And, you know, goaltending, of course, as we know, is kind of funny. Uh, you know, one year, one guy is good. One year, guy's not, you know, isn't good. And it's so, uh, it's always hard to say. It's kind of like relief pitching in baseball. It's always hard to kind of predict. And so who knows, you know, uh, Kakin and Hill, Hill could have an incredible year next year for all we know. I mean, there was a reason why the Sharks in the first place sent the second round pick for him. And so maybe that would be the smart play to trade Reimer and get a, a better pick or whatever back and then just roll with Kakinen and Hill. Um, but 
Anyway, we'll we'll see about that. I think they have kind of a couple of different avenues there, a different approaches. Probably depends on what offers they might get for for James Reimer. Uh, after they traded for Captain at the trade deadline, the presumption was Reimer was going to go, you know, that day uh, because that trade happened in the morning, trade deadline morning, and Reimer never went. And it made me think that well, maybe they didn't get the quite the offer that they wanted for a Reimer, and maybe they will this time at the draft as a team that looking for that insurance. But the, what does kind of cap? Uh, Reimer's return though is that I don't think Reimer is seen as a true number one around the league. And so and a team may not, even though a team would like to have an insurance like a James Reimer, and he has a pretty good contract uh, with uh, just uh, 2 million, about 2 million, uh, 2.25 million, I think due next year to him. Um, you know, a team may not necessarily trade a high draft pick for a guy that's sort of uh, at best uh, uh, for uh, a playoff team, a one B goalie. Yeah, I guess like the thing is, it really depends on what the Sharks are planning to do next year, right? Because I feel like if I'm a Sharks fan, and like you said, obviously, it's impossible to predict Aiden Hill could turn into a superstar. But I think uh, you don't want to rely on him. Like, I feel like Kokkinen and Reimer seem like a really solid tandem. That could be like, you know, two goals you can rely on. You just just lose that draft pick and you just eat it and, you know, move on with, with your life, right? Yeah, so we'll see what what they do. Maybe Aiden Hill needs uh, some seasoning. I don't know if he could just be like waved and sent to the minors. I guess someone. No, he can't. He can't be. And he probably. I mean, from just talking to people, like there's still enough respect for his talent level that if the Sharks uh, try to pass him through waivers and he's healthy, that he'd probably get picked up. Right. Yeah. And then, like, I forgot there was another goalie in the system. Right. Like people were talking about Melnichuk for a while. I guess now the Sharks all of a sudden are like you know full of goalies, and we're talking about how they have these three and they have to figure out what to do. There's also this guy Strauss Mann that Mm -hmm. our patron John wanted me to ask you about like at this point are people like Melnichuk and, and Strauss man like just like forget about them in terms of like fantasy since like Kokkinen could end up like just being the guy for the next few years or do you think well, a couple things about yeah about Melnichuk uh, uh Melnichuk was traded at the trade deadline to Tampa Bay so that tells you kind of oh where, right <laughs> yeah no no but that's that's exactly where where he's at you know he came in uh, into the 2020-21 season a lot of hype around him had put up some sparkling uh, numbers in the KHL uh but he struggled the last couple of years in the AHL with the Barracuda you know save percentage like roughly like 860 or something like that you know something that you know would barely you know, past mustard in the 80s you know <laughs> uh but anyway um so uh with uh, uh with uh i think one of the telling things about melnichuk too that we saw in season is that there was a stretch where hill was hurt uh james reimer played 13 straight uh started 13 straight games and not a load that reimer you know reimer's not a workhorse at least over his career you know not a load that reimer is necessarily used to um and in that stretch, though, the Sharks never called up Melnichuk. In fact, they 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 called up Zach Sachenko, uh, who's you know had a roundabout way of getting to the NHL, but definitely Sachenko is not a you know a blue chip prospect by by no disrespect to him, but he's not a blue chip prospect by by any uh, any means. And they refused to start Sachenko. They kept starting uh, a Reimer. They were still in the kind of in the playoff hunt then. This was roughly I think January February around that time. Yeah. And then Reimer got uh, injured, right? Because they played him too much. And Reimer eventually got hurt. Uh, But I think the telling thing, though, was that the Sharks did not have, this was getting to the Strauss man question, the Sharks clearly did not have a number three goalie that they could trust. You know, they had Reimer, they had Hill, they liked both of them, Hill got hurt. And suddenly at number three, well, is it uh, it Melnichuk or is it Sachenko? And while Sachenko got the reward, the call-up, but they never, you know, they never trusted him enough to play him. And so... uh, 
bringing in Strauss, man, Strauss, man, maybe can fill that void in for the Sharks. A lot of people uh, like him. He's had man uh, coming out of Michigan, had a pretty good season th- th- uh, this past season uh, in Sweden and also uh, did good work with the, the U.S. Olympic team. Right now he's at the World Championships. And uh, one scout that I talked to about a Strauss man said that he was sort of assigning, you know, the reason why Strauss man wasn't drafted was mainly his size, you know, six foot. Um, and uh, and the scout said that uh, man was sort of uh, a signing man was sort of like uh, a shark signing of the past where guys like Evgeny Nabokov, uh, Vesa Toskala, Mika Kippersoff uh, were guys that weren't the biggest guys, but guys who were smart and had good feet. Um, Sharks had Kippersoff? Yep, the Sharks drafted Kippersoff. Oh. <laughs> they traded, actually, they traded Kippersoff uh, for the draft pick that became Mark Edward Vlasic. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds about that. <laughs> so, yeah, good, good, good bit of uh, uh, everything worked out, I guess, for everybody, for Calgary and for uh, the Sharks there. Uh, but anyway, though, um, so, yeah, so, so Straussman is, you know, well regarded in every, uh, in every area except for, you know, just his size, you know, just smaller than, 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 uh, than, than people want a goalie to be. You know, he's competitive, uh, he's got good feet feet he's got quick hands um so anyway the thought is i think that man should slide into your barracuda starter and also potentially hopefully be a guy that if in case there is an injury you don't mind him as your backup you don't mind him starting an occasional game um and so i think that's sort of the idea so anyway so basically strauss man has at this point you know supplanted you know melnichuk uh, in the organization Right. Okay. So I guess we're thinking maybe Aiden Hill or James Reimer gets traded. Then Strassman yeah. is the starter in the minors. And then, yeah, just one injury. And then hopefully Bugner won't be like not wanting to play him like with Sachenko. He'll be excited hopefully. to uh, give him a shot. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's not delay any further. We've gone like 20 plus minutes into the episode. And I haven't even brought up Timo Meyer and his amazing career year. Shang, I have to give you credit. At the end of last year's interview, I asked you who's a shark that is going to be like underdrafted, like sort of people aren't expecting what they're going to get out of him. And you picked Timo Meyer, and boy, were you right. He had a very disappointing season in 2020, uh, 2021. He had only a 47 point pace. Uh, but then, like this season, everything flipped around, right? He saw a huge time on ice increase. Like, one of the questions I was asking you was, why doesn't Bugner ever put him on the power play? So that you know, he got on, I guess, like Evander Kane leaving helped with that. He got like a ton more shots. He was taking over four shots per game. He ended the season with almost a point per game. But when you look deep into it, it's actually like uh, a really strange, like two parts of the season. So I'll, I'll be really curious to hear like how you break it down. Because after 38 games, Meyer had 47 points. He had 21 goals and 47 <laughs> points halfway through the year, basically. Then he slowed down in the second half, only quote unquote, only like, you know, 29 points in 39 games. So in the end, he ends up point per game but really we were looking at like you know a hundred point player and then like oh, a sure. 60 70 point player uh so i guess first of all i guess we just credit overall just like did you think that meyer had this in him to like ha- take this huge step forward or, and like I, I guess the question almost becomes like did he always have this in him and it was just he wasn't getting the opportunity or was it that like he came into camp and just was like a different player like to, what triggered this huge amazing start to the year 
Um, I think he did kind of have this in him. I mean, if you look back to 2018-19, which is sort of his true breakout year, right, which earned him uh, that four-year, $24 million contract. He scored 30 goals as a 22-year-old, put up 66 points, and this was as kind of like a secondary uh, uh, forward on a really loaded Sharks team. Yeah, we were expecting him to really take off after right, that. Right, right, right. You know, that, that Sharks team had Joe Blavelski still, Logan Couture in his prime, uh, you know, just a bunch, uh, just a loaded group of forwards. Evander Kane uh, not hated yet in the locker room, apparently. <laughs> so it was a pretty, pretty deep Sharks team uh, in, in that year. And, and Meyer still managed to put up, you know, 30, 66. Um, and so uh, not too surprised in a way. Uh, but then, you know, to get to your other question about sort of uh, what happened in the uh, in the second half. Well, actually, before we get to that, though, um, you know, I, I think the, 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 the biggest change this year with Meyer, as opposed to last year, is that he just was attacking the net with a lot more authority. And I wrote an article about that midseason. Actually got quotes from his now, uh, not now former coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, Peter DeBoer. <laughs> but this was why this was the all-star break. And Peter DeBoer was the coach, uh, Meyer's coach uh, on the Pacific Division all-star team. And of course, uh, Pete uh, was uh, Meyer's coach in San Jose too. And um, I, I, I was able to uh, get some stats from Sport Logic, it's just uh, detailing just how Meyer was attacking the net, you know, um, uh, at a much higher rate, um, you know, not selling for the perimeter shots, which he sort of was doing last year. Um, and so I think that was sort of uh, one of the, the biggest differences uh, with Meyer. Uh, but then the other th- point you mentioned, sort of that uh, drop off, I think a couple of factors. I mean, you know, I think that um, teams might have been kind of keying in on him a little bit more because I don't know if anybody expected Timo to be carrying the team uh, through the first uh, half of the season. Uh, but I think a big part of it, too, is that I think that with a guy like a Timo Meyer, um, he's not a guy that I see as having a, you know, if you think about what kind of scorer he is, right, he doesn't have that kind of that weapon like Ovechkin or another kind of scorer, like that go-to sort of move or whatever, right? Um, what Timo is, is he's a volume shooter, right? Timo is all about shooting from anywhere at all times. And if that's your approach to scoring, though, well, you're going to, I think, uh, invariably kind of run into some cold streaks because you're going to run into some streaks where those kind of those long shots or those shots from bad angles just aren't going to go in. Right. And so the, the point with Timo is that you just got to keep shooting and then you're going to kind of, um, shoot your way out of those slumps just with pure volume. Right. But I think uh, when you're a pure volume guy, you know, you're going to fluctuate up and down, you know, he's not going to be a shooting percentage guy. He's not looking for the perfect shot. He's not looking for that Royal world one timer or whatever. Right. He's just looking to shoot, 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 you know? And so I think, I think that's that, that's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, little slumps like that, like he went through to the second half of the season and it would have helped him if um, you know, he had, better teammates around him to kind of support him when he was slumping um, and uh, and uh, have have his teammates kind of carry the slack a little bit in the second half, which uh, they didn't. And I think, too, that that's the kind of thing that probably weighed on Timo, too, a little bit, too, where, um, you know, you have all this pressure. You know, I felt like he did a little too much in the second half of the season. And you can see that in the penalties that he took. I mean, he started off the season, first half of the season, I think he took like three minor penalties. And the second half of the year, I think he had like 25. He had more, he had the most penalties, I think minor penalties in the league in the second half of the year. He had more than even Evander Kane. <laughs> and we know that's a, that's a apartment where Kane excels in yes. <laughs> taking penalties. And so anyway, uh, yeah. So I think, I think part of that was just a guy maybe, uh, 
doing a little too much. And so um, anyway, I do expect this kind of similar-ish production. I don't know if he's going to hit 100 points, but you know, somewhere in this area next year for Timo, and hopefully Sharks, Sharks can help him out. Uh, you know, put uh, a little more uh, talent around him. Yeah, is it? You know, obviously our podcast is called Keeping Carlson, so I'm always <laughs> just going to assume that maybe it just hurt him that Eric Carlson missed time, and so he didn't have that <laughs> amazing offensive defenseman to to feed him. Uh, but yeah, so I guess looking at next season, like, are we at the very least past the point where we have to be worried about Meyer like getting kicked off the top power play again? Like, you know, we have guys like Eklund, Bordalo, like Bordalo was getting top power play time at the end of the year, uh, like you know, and Carlson wasn't there, so theoretically Carlson could come in and take. I don't know, like, but do you think? We're past that or do you think once again it'll be like we'll be shocked when Meyer because I remember it was like when Pavelski left that's when we were like okay well for sure now Meyer's gonna get on the top power play then like Evander Kane took the spot instead or someone else did LeBanc took the spot uh but now do you think that he's like earned it for good with Bugner now uh well you know we don't know if uh, Bugner will be the the coach next year so that that could be be part of the the question but um I mean you know, uh, he's had one great year, two down years, a great year, you know, 2018-19. So, um, you know, I guess before he's safe and you would never and you would say like, oh, yeah, he is, you know, he he is, you know, trusted. He's going to, you know, uh, retain his spot in the lineup, even with a couple of mistakes and, and whatnot. Right. You know, he's that in that trusted group of veterans. Um, you know, let's see him do it, do it uh, again. Um, but yeah, I mean, likely though, I mean, if you look at the talent, I mean, Eklund and Bortolo are talented, but they're not necessarily guys that you envision next year. They're going to be scoring at a point per game pace, like, like Timo Meyer. And so, yeah, I mean, so he's pretty safe there. I mean, there's, isn't a lot of competition around him, even Evander Kane, uh, playing over ahead of him in, uh, in, uh, 2019, 20, like that made sense in terms of some, some ways, because, well, as we see with Evander now at Edmonton, Evander is a really, really good player, obviously. And so, uh, and, and kind of a more, at that point, a more kind of consistent, complete player than Meyer was. And so, yeah, there isn't anybody like that on, on the Sharks, of course, uh, right now. Right. So if you had to predict right now, assuming, let's say, Couture, Hurdle, Meyer, they're all healthy next year. Do you think Meyer is going to lead the team in points again, or do you think that it'll be close? I think so. I mean, I think a lot of the offense is designed around Meyer. You know, one of the stats that uh, I, uh, I, uh, I I found that you know, blew my mind uh, about Meyer this season was just how much they were relying on him. And uh, if you remember, you know, three, four years ago, the Sharks offense really centered around Brent Burns shooting, you know, just from anywhere at five on five on the power play. You know, Brent Burns had the highest, I think, shot share of of any player of, you know, uh, shot share of, of the team of any player in the league. And Meyer has kind of, uh, you know, replicated uh, kind of, you know, Burns has kind of stepped back and Meyer's kind of become the focal point of the five on five offense of the power play and, you know, his shot share at on the power play and his shot share at five on five match or, or, you know, greater, than what Burns was doing in 2018-19, which was, you know, the last great Brent Burns season. And so basically, Meyer has become the focal point of offense like Brent Burns was uh, four years ago for the Sharks. And so things can change if they have a new coaching staff and whatnot. But um, I would think, though, that uh, as the Sharks look now, that they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to run out about the same thing next year in terms of, you know, Meyer as sort of that offensive focal point. 
Cool. All right. So uh, you've heard it here. Uh, draft with confidence, Timo Meyer. And uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's like if he has a slump at some point next season, that'll be the time to try to trade for him in fantasy leagues. It's like you're saying, maybe it's just a shooter every once in a while will just go cold. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Okay, so beyond the guys who have been around for a while, we do have a lot of new exciting names. I've already mentioned a couple of them, so I'd love to dive into some of the prospect forwards on the team. And, of course, we've got to start with the 2021 seventh overall pick, William Eklund, who made the team, came out strong, yet assists in each of his first three games. We were all losing our mind in the fantasy world of, like, oh, quick, push your grandmother out of the way to go and grab William Eklund out of free agency. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was getting this, like, top role. Like, he was playing in the top six. Like, I think he was getting great power play time. But then all of a sudden, he uh, was held out of the score sheet for all but one of his next six games. Then he was sent back to the SHL to finish his, finish his season where he was, you know, decent enough, uh, 14 points in, in 29 games. Was that the plan all along and we were just, like, overreacting? Or do you think that, like, it was Eklund just wasn't holding up well enough to, like, hold that spot for the, you know, for the season they decided to get you know, not waste a year of his ELC. I think it was a little bit of, of both. Um, I, I, I thought that uh, Willie Mecklen was good enough to stay with the Sharks. I thought he was one of their top nine forwards. I don't think he was one of their top six forwards, but I think he was one of their top nine forwards and uh, deserving of power play time too, which is sort of his sort of bread and butter too. Um, but he wasn't so overwhelmingly good that, there was no argument for sending him back or anything like that. You know, he wasn't blowing anybody away. Um, uh, He was making, you know, uh, he was small for the league. He was getting pushed around at times. He was compensating with his intelligence. I mean, he's, uh, you know, a super hockey intelligence, but that was going to be, I think, if they had kept him, sort of that uh, struggle throughout the season, uh, whether or not uh, his hockey brain would be able to compensate for his, you know, physical shortcomings uh, at, at this point as a team teenager in the NHL. And so I think when push came to shove, the Sharks, uh, you know, kind of played it safe in, in some ways, you know, and, um, and so, yeah, but I think the ELC probably factored into that too. I, I don't think there's any question about that too. Um, so I think that Eklund, you know, had made a case, a good enough case to stay, but it wasn't a overwhelming case. So we'll, we'll put it, put it that way. So. Okay, yeah, fair enough. So are, how do you think the Sharks are feeling about him now after, you know, what they saw here in the NHL and then his season in, in the SHL? Like, are are you and, like, Sharks fans and management still, like, excited and feeling like this was, like, a steal of a pick? A lot of people were saying that they thought the Sharks got, like, a really good deal getting Eklund at seven. Sure. Uh, do, are, are you still uh, happy with this choice? And do you think that he's going to be an impact player in the league, like, next year or if not next year, then pretty soon? Yeah, yeah. I think the team is still high on him. You know, he struggled a bit in the SHL going back there um, uh, insofar as he scored just one goal and I think, uh, you know, 30 or so regular season games, uh, 29 uh, regular season games. And so not the not the season that maybe uh, people were hoping for, uh, you know, when he went back. He also played for a struggling year garden team that got relegated at the end of this uh, season. Uh, not to put it on William, of course, uh, but um, so it's. I think it's, in some ways it's tough to kind of get a a a reading based off based off that. But in general, though, it seems that that people are uh, are pretty uh, uh, you know pretty pleased with him still. And uh, we had Doug Wilson Jr. on uh, director of scouting for the Sharks uh, on our on our, our uh, podcast recently, and he talked about you know different players that kind of uh, uh, had that. 
you know, maybe a cup of coffee or they, they never came to NHL right after they got drafted. And then they came back the next year and they excelled. And he cited names like Mika Zibanejad, um, uh, Luke, uh, Lucas Raymond, you know, guys like that. And so, you know, can, can Eklund uh, replicate a path like that and, you know, be an effective, very effective player next year? I think so. And he'll get uh, every opportunity to do it. The Sharks need as much forward talent as possible. And he is still, you know, like I mentioned, a really, really smart player. And so I think he does have a chance of uh, sticking with the team and, you know, really uh, being a contributor. Okay, well, yeah, exciting as a Sharks fan to have him and also to have the guy who you last year we recorded before the draft and you called Thomas Bordalo the top prospect on the team and he didn't disappoint this past year, right? He had a great season with Michigan, 37 points in 37 games. Then he had a couple games with the Barracuda, then ended the season with eight games with the big club where he saw decent deployment, like I said, got on the top power play. He put up five assists in those eight games. So I guess I kind of have the same questions about Bordalo as I have with Eklund. Like, do you see him as someone that's going to to you know hold a spot with the team next year and what kind of impact can we expect maybe you could give you a prediction of who's going to get more points next year between Bordalo and Eklund I would say Eklund I mean I think uh, Bordalo benefited at the end of this year from a Sharks team that was you know well out of it and um, you know was just you know gonna gonna give him a give him a, a good opportunity there to kind of show his stuff you know that team wasn't going to make the playoffs or anything. And uh, I think even though Bortolo did show a lot of offensive uh, flashes, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of the, the kind of hockey intelligence that William Eklund has, I don't know if it's quite as high uh, because I think Eklund's is, you know, is basically elite. Uh, Thomas Bortolo is just, you know, maybe just really, really, really high hockey, hockey IQ, not, not quite elite, but uh, still very special hockey IQ. Uh, but I think that uh, Bortolo's, I, I don't think he is as, defensively sound at this point as I thought Eklund was uh, in Eklund's kind of cup of coffee. And so I think that'll keep Eklund more in the lineup than a Bortolo. And so I think that Bortolo will need to iron that out. Bortolo might, you know, Bortolo is a year older than Eklund. Bortolo was a 2020 draft pick, obviously Eklund in 2021. And so Bortolo may well iron out some of these issues in his game. These are things that are, you know, things that can be ironed out. Um, and so if he does that, then then he will stick with the club. He's, he does he does he did show the the hockey IQ and the offensive acumen to definitely stick in the NHL. It's just sort of a, a lot of those little areas in the game that uh, he has to iron out those defensive areas, his puck management, things like that. And if he does, then then he's going to be right there on the Sharks with an Eklund. But my prediction is I, I'm going to go with Eklund there. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Uh, like, how does Bordalo even slot in? Like, I know he's like a PRC, and obviously the Sharks have Meyer and they have Couture. Do you think the plan is for Bordalo to be like the three C on the team next year if he makes it, or would someone go to the wing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I. <sighs> You know, they they were using him at 3C at the end of the season. But again, you know, I think a lot of that was just because um, uh, the, the team was out of it. They just were trying different things. You know, Nick Benino, who was the, the normal 3C this uh, this past year for the Sharks, he went to wing with Couture. Um, so anyway, um, I, I think that if it's the exact same Thomas Bortolo as you saw last year, he shouldn't be a 3C on a, you know, on a competitive team in the NHL. Uh, it's fine if, you know, like I said, the Sharks team last year wasn't a competitive team by the end of the year. So, you know, give whoever playing time. Uh, but, you know, the Sharks want to make the playoffs next year. So if Bortolo doesn't take a leap, then I don't think he is, you know, uh, should be uh, put in that uh, kind of role, um, asked to shoulder that kind of responsibility. Um, so 
if he does take a leap, yeah, then of course, you know, ideally the Sharks would love it if Thomas Borlo could step in as a, you know, what, a 21 year old and be a, you know, a, a, a NHL veteran quality type 3C. Um, every team needs, you know, a strong 3C to, you know, I think, you know, to, to be a legit playoff team. Most teams do at least. And so Borlo was able to step in and, and be that the Sharks would be thrilled, but that's a lot to ask of a, of a younger player like that. And so, um, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the shark solution is to put him at 3C. I, I personally don't think I usually, uh, want to be careful with younger players and not, you know, not just give them playing time. Like honestly, like the Sharks have done with younger players for the last three years, they've given a lot of players playing time that uh, on a good team, they, these younger players would not get that playing time yet. Um, they would have to earn it more. And so um, I would be careful about that with Bordalo, uh, but um, I'm not sure the Sharks may not have uh, any other solutions, you know, with kind of their cap troubles, uh, or Bordalo might take that jump. I mean, I could see it. Bordalo is a very, very smart player. Um, so I can see Bordalo making uh, making that kind of that leap where he does become a, a competent, uh, you know, two-way, and I stress two-way, uh, a 3C. Um, but, you know, as you can tell, uh, you know, how much I've talked about it, it's not something that uh, I would feel comfortable about or saying that, like, he should be the Sharks 3C. Yeah, it's interesting because when you you talk about it, it's, it's as if it's like something aspirational. Like for people in fantasy, they're like, oh, if he's 3C, then he's not going to have much value. Like he's not going to get too many points. I'd rather him be well, like a winker, you know, playing with Couture. <laughs> I mean, he was 3C. He had five points in the eight games. Yeah, I mean, he was game power play time. So, I mean, if he were able to do that on a good team, um, then he's going to have he's going to have some some value. Uh, so uh, just the question of whether or not he will be able to do that with, a, you know, Sharks team that, you know, speaking of aspirations, wants to make the playoffs next year. Yeah, it's funny, by the way, you brought up uh, Nick Benino. It's cool that he's on the Sharks. I actually have a friend who doesn't like, you know, anything about hockey at all, but she's good friends with Nick Benino's sister. Oh. So every once in a while, she's asking me, like, how's Nick Benino doing? And uh, I can tell him I just talked about him on, on a podcast. <laughs> it's pre- pretty rare that I do so. Uh, okay, so uh, still some more fun young players on this team. Yep. Uh, there's Jonathan Dallin, who had a really exciting start to the year, right? He was playing with Meyer Couture. He put up eight points in his first 11 games. Then, unfortunately, he missed some time with injury during the season, saw a big dip in his time on ice like come april uh, eventually got healthy scratched in four games in a row to end the season uh was it mainly like the injuries that derailed dallin's like promising looking rookie campaign or do you think he hit a wall at some point like what happened there where he was like just looking so strong and such like a key part of the top six and then for him to fall off like that Oh uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Jonathan did, did did deal with a lot of different kind of injuries, uh, COVID. I think a shoulder injury, a concussion. Um, you know, all like short termish, but just different injuries that kind of derailed his pace of the season. But yeah, I think though, if I were to guess, um, I think he did just hit a wall, kind of, uh, in terms of uh, he's hadn't played a schedule like this really ever. Um, the uh, Osvenskan schedule that he had played previously was about fifty games, and um, of course, you know, this you know, eighty, you know, so he added thirty plus games there also too you know early in the season too you know the one player that uh that uh you know you someone always uh, a common question with any team is well you know who's you know who's that guy that makes everybody better right and on the sharks it was timo meyer any any player that played with timo meyer you know produced better results last year and that's logan couture that's uh, tomas hurdle and that's uh, jonathan dolan too in this case and so i think i think that 
that that would have affected a guy like Dolan too, uh, you know, being moved away from really the, you know, the Sharks one elite offensive player. Um, so I think that, you know, I think we're, we have a lot of, you know, big questions with Dolan going into the second year, you know, is he more of the Dolan from the first half of the year or is he more of the Dolan uh, from the second half of the year? And if he's a little bit more like the first half, then he's going to get some playing time and get some chances on the power play. And if he's more like the Dolan from the second half, then he's, you know, going to get sat and he's going to get waived, you know, to be honest. Um, so, you know, well, it's kind of a wait and see. Yeah, well, right now he's an RFA. I guess we'll see if he gets re-signed. I guess you got to imagine they could at least give him a shot. Yeah, shot-out. yeah. I mean, I know uh, I spoke with his agent. He wants to come back. Um, you know, I'm sure that uh, his usage at the end of the season wasn't thrilling to to him, uh, yeah. to Dolan or his agent. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are kind of the... You know, if Dolan wants to stick in NHL, these are sort of the, he's got to get better this summer. He's got to get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. And, you know, we saw in the first half, you know, sort of that potential he has. And so he has to do that more consistently. He can't just do that, you know, uh, second half of the season, he was having good games, maybe one out of every three or four, you know, and he can't, you know, that's not going to cut in NHL, so. Yeah, of course. Okay, but yeah, so again, like I, I started the show like talking about like the Sharks' depth and like, you know, we've talked about, you know, a, a reasonable top six so far. And I still have some other players that I think are interesting that are worth talking about. Like there's Alex Barabanov, who had some really exciting stretches during the season. He played with Hurdle pretty much all season. Sometimes he got on the top power play. So there's a lot of players who we bring up. I actually forgot that LeBanc was on the team until you mentioned him at the very start. You know, he, he I guess he was injured for a lot of the year and sort of forgot about him. He used to be like a mainstay on that top power play. But yeah, Barabanov, off he ended the year with 39 points in 70 games that's a 46 point pace if he had played all 82 he had a strong like 17 plus average Uh time on ice so he played a lot the numbers were looking even better before he managed only like two assists in his final 11 games like so he had a a slow you know he was looking like a 50 plus point player before just a really slow end uh barabanov is 27 years old uh the sharks have now extended him for two years at a like a reasonable looking like 2.5 million per year do you think at this point, like, is there room to grow here for Barabanov? Or do you think, like, we just saw his ceiling, like a 50-point guy is, like, the best you could see? Or is there a chance that, like, he could take all these good stretches? Because, you know, when I look through his game log, I see, like, you know, here and there, little patches of, like, four points in five games, five points in six games. If he could, like, put, a, you know, a few of those together, all of a sudden it could be a really exciting season. No, I mean, I, I think that he he's a guy that, you know, again, another guy that benefits from playing a lot with Timo Meyer And, uh I think you're thrilled if you get 50 points out of him. I mean, you know, 27 year old, you traded Auntie Suomela for him. Uh, and so uh, I don't know if you, you can expect him to be better than, than, than who he is. So um, I think that's pretty good, pretty good already. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what we saw is like, that's the best and be happy if you can see that again. And maybe it'll be tougher with like Eklund and Portolo and these guys coming in. Right, right, right. Steal his spot. And then, okay, I'll just run through a, a couple other forwards and let me know basically like, are there any other forwards that you think will make an impact uh, that I, that I'll look dumb for missing out on? Like I'll throw out like Ozzy Weisblatt, 41 points in 43 games with Prince Albert of the WHL last season. And a guy who I asked you about last year that I was excited about. So I still am uh, Daniil Gushin who seemed to feast in the OHL 71 points in 51 games with the Niagara Ice Dogs. Should uh, we have high hopes for either or both of these guys or, or anyone else that I haven't brought up yet? Not necessarily uh, uh, next year. I mean, uh, even a guy like Brandon Coe's had, you know, amazing uh, season in OH, over eight season in OHL, you know, scored over 100 points. Uh, he's still not a guy, you know, talking with people that watch him closely, that people are seeing even his ceiling as being uh, above a third line. Um 
you know, uh, he, you know, he's a guy that maybe can make the NHL sooner because of his size and his, and his skating. And so that kind of, you know, makes it, you know, he's, he's six, four, so he's going to fit into the NHL really easily that way. But, um, you know, does he have a high offensive ceiling? I don't think so. Uh, same with, uh, you know, Rudolph Balzer's no Gregor, who, uh, were, uh, kind of, uh, forced into playing, uh, top six minutes uh, this year for the Sharks. You know, they're not top six forwards, I, I think. So, um, you know, so I don't know if they're, they're guys that are necessarily going to be exciting from a fantasy perspective. Um, yeah, so no, I, I don't know if there's anybody. I think the most likely young player to step in and make a big contribution um, is an Eklund. I don't know who, of course, with the Sharks are going to draft it this year. But right now, this moment, though, I would say it would be uh, Eklund, you know, followed by uh, maybe Bordalo. Okay, yeah, fair. And by uh, speaking of this draft, they pick 11th overall. Uh, right before we got on the call, busiest person in uh, beat writing, you were working on an article you were telling me right until right before we got on the call about like who the Sharks will have potentially available to them at 11th overall. Like, wh- what would you hope? Do you have a player in mind that you're hoping will fall to them? Uh, well, no, I don't really know if I have a, I have a hope, you know, because uh, I don't, uh, I'm not, I'm not a necessarily a fan of the team, <laughs> but oh. I guess like, uh, I mean, I guess it'd be exciting. I mean, realistically uh, exciting guy. Well, actually the guy I like is probably not the, the, the most exciting guy, but he's the guy that is sort of the, the, uh, you know, Marco Casper is seen as a guy that uh, you want to win playoff games with, you know, you know, uh, uh, Mike Ricci kind of player to me that that would be great. I like watching players like that. Um, but there's also, you know, exciting goal scoring out score goal scorers. there, like, uh, uh Jonathan, like, Le- uh, um, that, that might be available too, but yeah, so that, that probably be sort of, uh, uh, the guy that would, uh, I would like watching the most, but. Okay, so yeah, we'll see what they do with that pick. And okay, let's end on D. Of course, I was super excited to see Eric Carlson have a bit of a resurgence. Okay, not back to the 2018-19 numbers, but I'll take what he gave us, right? He, yep. uh, especially after only a 35-point pace campaign in 2020-21, but this past season, 35 points in 50 games for 57-point pace. He was looking even better for a while, but alas, he's Eric Carlson uh, in his 30s, so he had to miss significant time with injuries, including a lower body injury that held him out of the last nine games of the season. I saw you tweeted at the end of the year that like the injury wasn't serious and wasn't related to his past groin and, and ankle injuries. Uh, I mean, imagine- hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Like I was going to ask you, like, do you believe him? Like, do, are we expecting <laughs> Carlson to come back and be like a hundred percent going into next season? Or should we like continue to like be wary that if you draft him in fantasy, like you're not getting close to 82 games. I mean, I expect him to start the season healthy, but um, I don't know how, how we'll end up with him as usual. Right. And so it was uh, nice to see, uh, you know, he started off with 26 points in 33 games to start the season. And he is a guy that we've seen over the years that, you know, when the Sharks were in the playoff race, he was more engaged. He played a better brand of hockey. By the second half of the season, uh, you could see his, I I, I could see his attention sort of, uh, you know, wasn't, he wasn't as engaged. And um, so, uh, you know, I I would expect a, a a good start to the season for him once again. Um, and if you can stay healthy, that's a big if, and if the Sharks can stay in the race, uh, then, uh, you can kind of get, uh, some good value out of him. But again, it depends on where you draft him. So if yeah. you draft him again, you know, expecting 80, 82 games or even 70 games and 50 plus points, 
and you're counting on that, then I, you know, I, I wouldn't do that, you know, if, if I were drafting him in fantasy. But if he's a guy that slips because of all those injury concerns and, and you know, is he a guy that can surprise, uh, then for sure, you know, he's definitely a great sleeper pickup. And, you know, if you can stay healthy for one season and the team can stay, stay decent around him, you know, you're going to have a, a number one uh, guy in terms of production. Yeah, for sure. And we're talking about all these exciting players. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're excited about some of these players, then you should be excited for Carlson to be playing with them. Uh, then I guess there's Burns. At this point, I, I feel like we know who Burns is now. He's no longer the Burns of old. Like you said, he sure. ended the year like 55 points in 82 games. It's totally solid. Not like the huge shooter that he used to be. Uh, I'm interested to know now with Middleton gone, is like Mario Ferraro now kind of like the next in line for like the, or maybe he already was like the next sort of best defenseman on the team. Like if I'm looking for like a player that's going to give me like decent minutes, like blocks, like is Ferraro the clear pick or cause I did notice there was this guy, Jacob Magna who uh, was seeing more ice time at the end of the year, starting to load up on the perifs himself. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, like who do you think is sort of like the more entrenched number three D man on the team between Ferraro and Magna? Oh, it's for all for sure. I mean, the Sharks just re-signed Magna. You know, Magna's an AHL journeyman, 29, uh, AHL journeyman that hasn't uh, hit 100 uh, games, NHL games yet. So it kind of tells you about his path. And he has established himself as a legit NHL defenseman, but on a better team, he really should be a bottom pairing guy. And uh, so, um, yeah, so I I think it's for all for sure uh, in that regard. Yeah, Ferraro was seeing, like, especially at the start of the year, so many blocks. He, he was among the top in the league, so it'll be cool if he can, like, you know, have a, a whole season of doing that. And not get hurt, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess, yeah, though, there's one more prospect, I guess, who already last year you were saying we it's time to maybe start losing some hope about him. And so what are your current thoughts on Ryan Merkley? He uh, quietly had his rookie season, I guess. He played 39 games, had only six points in his limited role. Then he had 19 points in 30 games with the Barracuda. Is Merkley still seen as like a high-ish end prospect that will make an impact at some point or like is the excitement starting to wane uh for the 21 year old well i mean to be frank i think the excitement has been waning for a couple of years but i will say though that and you saw this last year in in flashes that he was capable of making some very very high-end plays it's just a question of can you do that consistently uh, high-end offensive plays at NHL level can you do that consistently and can he be close to average defensively, just not hurt the, hurt the, the sharks too much defensively. And that's still a big question mark. And so I think with Ryan, uh, he did have a better year, uh, 2021, 22 than he did the year before, uh, the year before he was clearly going the wrong way and sort of his uh, development as a prospect last year, he got back on track a little bit. Um, so I think though he'll need to take another big leap though to really kind of fulfill that kind of first round pedigree or whatever, right? And I think that's a big question mark of whether or not he can improve his game enough for that. Uh, but if he does, uh, then you know again though you know you did see that flashes at moments of you know incredible offensive ability. It's just a matter of can he, you know, fix the stuff around him, and that's that's what we don't know with him. So he's you know definitely a bit of a wild card but i will say though uh to his credit that uh you know if you take a chance on him on fantasy uh he is a guy that has a still a very high ceiling it just uh don't know don't know don't know if he can reach it you know uh on a consistent basis at angel level 
Okay. Well, yeah. So nice to know that he's turning things around. And I guess we'll see how this next year goes. I'll ask you about him again in, in a year from now. This has been such a blast, Shang, talking through the sharks. I feel like I could keep going, but uh, uh, you're, you're a busy guy. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your insights. Uh, do you want to maybe let people know the best way? Well, I mean, we all know the best way is to uh, follow Shang on, on Twitter at Shang underscore Pang. And, you, and you're the editor-in-chief at San Jose Hockey Now. But, yeah, maybe do you want to pitch to people? Well, as if this interview wasn't enough, but like trying to pitch people why they should be uh, subscribing to your great work. Uh, well, uh, we have uh, some uh, a detailed kind of talked with uh, a couple of scouts about uh, different uh, draft prospects. Uh, we have uh, 3000 words of, of quotes uh, from uh, about guys like Brad Lambert and uh, Frank Nazar and uh, so on. Uh, Kevin Korchinski. Um, so, so many of the, the prospects that could be where the Sharks are at number 11, uh, Marco Casper. Um, and so that's kind of stuff that you do see at San Jose Hockey Now. So please subscribe. You can also find my work at uh, NBC Sharks. And uh, thanks again uh, for, for having me, man. Yeah, it was awesome. Okay, one last quick question before I, before I let you go. The Rangers just beat Carolina, so that series is now two games to two. I, I might be releasing this in a couple of days, so we might be a little bit behind here. The Oilers are currently up one nothing on the Flames for whatever it's worth. But uh, who's your pick right now? Who's going to take the cup this year? Do you think that, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately not the Sharks, but do you have a, a rooting interest or and or a, a team that you think is the front runner at this point? I'll be the boring with my choice. I'll go with Colorado. Yeah, I guess hard to say. Uh, no, I don't. Tampa's looking pretty important. Tampa's hard looking to, really good, too. Hard to bet against Vasilevsky. Okay, uh, really great. Thanks again. Talk to you next year, hopefully, for uh, part four. Yep, absolutely, man. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, man.